The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 24 through uh, 37, kind of the end of that chapter. And we're going to jump right in uh, to this story, kind of in the middle of this story, but we'll go back and make some sense of it. So uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 24, as we walk through the, the gospel of Mark, says, Jesus got up and he went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So I'm not going to get into this, but I just want you to know that Christ has gone a long way. He's taking a very circular path to get where he's ultimately going to go, to kind of where this, this story is taking him. But he's literally gone the opposite direction, north, to come back to somewhere that's kind of southeast. Um, so he's kind of doing this kind of a deal as he goes on this journey. And he wants to kind of stay away from the crowd. The text is clear about that. Um, that not only is he's not annoyed by people or anything, um, but his purpose is not to draw a crowd. His purpose was not to have a bunch of people shouting his name. Um, that wasn't his, his purpose. And so some of his purpose was getting lost in the fanboy aspect of what was kind of going on. Um, so to get away from that, and I think to rest, he goes around um, to this other place. And when he ends up in this place called Tyre, it's a city, and a woman hears about it, and she breaks through whatever security lines he's got involved, you know, whatever, you know, the bouncers, I don't know which disciple was a bouncer, but one of those guys, I'm sure was security guy or something. She's able to break through that and get into um, the presence of Jesus. And there's a lot of things about this story um, that make it very unusual. Maybe not for us. Um, we read these stories about Christ and I think we, we've come to expect them. Um, but if you're there reading this story for the first time, or if you're actually at this incident when it's happening, you're like, man, this is really out of line. It's, it's beyond unusual. It can even be offensive, um, what's, what's happening here. Um, so she kind of breaks through and uh, has this conversation. So a couple of things the text points out to us that I want to make sure we understand is that this woman was a woman. I don't want that to surprise anybody, but for the text, it matters. It matters that this person who comes to him is a woman. And let me explain to you why. Because women were, were basically still regarded as, as kind of outsiders in many, many, many um, early cultures like this. Women would have even been, quite frankly, seen as property in a lot of ways. Um, in a court of law, it took three women's testimonies to equal one man's testimony. Women were marginalized. Um, they were marginalized in every way, religiously, socially, legally, um, uh, every, in every way. There was a lot of social inferiority. 
um, and political inequality for, for these women. And then this woman comes in, so she's got all those issues attached to who she is and whatnot. She comes busting in. She's a Gentile on top of that. And what's the big deal about being a Gentile? Well, Christ is a Jew, and he's a Jewish rabbi. And so women wouldn't just burst into your office uh, in those days, much less a Gentile woman. This would have been very, very unusual for someone from the Gentile race to come barging into uh, the presence of a Jewish uh, teacher, a Jewish rabbi. So she bursts in. She's this Jew- Gentile woman. Uh, and maybe strike three, her daughter is demon-possessed. So this is the person who is the, the, the focal point of this story in some ways, or at least the instigator to this story. And she bursts in with all these issues. But here's what's really interesting as she starts to talk to Jesus. We're in chapter 7. Every time Jesus is taught, he's taught in a parable. We looked at some parables last week. And every time he's taught in a parable, everybody's like, I don't even understand what you're talking about. Can, can you please explain that? Even his disciples, like, we don't know what you're saying. Can you, can you make that clear to us? Can you explain that to us? He'll speak in a parable to her. She's the first person in the gospel who will understand Jesus' parables. It's very, very interesting, I think, in what it communicates about what Christ has come to do. Matter of fact, I think that's kind of the point of the story We could get hung up on the fact she's a Gentile or she's a woman or there's a demon possession going on. And we can kind of get hung up on those issues. But the real point of the story tells us a lot about who Jesus is and what he came to do. It wasn't those things that we can get stuck on. Here's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to bring all people to God. He came to make sure there was a way for everyone to have access to God, regardless of your status, uh, regardless of your origin, there was no religious merit. He didn't say, oh, because you're Jewish, uh, because you're, you're a good person, because you've kept the law. Matter of fact, he has that very specific conversation with somebody later. Because you've done all these good things, you're in. He looks at all of us and he says, you're all out. All of you are out. You're born out. Your religious work, being good, merit doesn't merit you getting into God's presence. I have come to ensure that you have a way to get into God's presence. And we see that literally embodied in this woman. Everything that should keep her far away from God, Jesus is like, no, let her in. Welcome her in. And we're going to have this. He has a very strange conversation with her as we get into this. Now, why is all this happening? What is the big deal about this story? I've talked about it a little bit. At the beginning of the chapter, and I really do need to put this in perspective or in context for you. He's had this conversation with some Pharisees, with some religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders, about traditions. Jesus and his disciples apparently are eating food without washing their hands. And the Jewish leaders are aghast at this. They're like, wait a minute, why are you eating with dirty hands? It wasn't, they didn't know about germs, so don't think that they had any idea about microbes, you know, and all this kind of stuff. They're religiously, they're like, listen, you are unclean. That is an unclean thing to do. To be right with God, you're supposed to wash your hands before you eat. It's sort of this ritualistic cleansing, cleaning that you go through. And you and your disciples haven't done that. What is the, what's your problem, <laughs> right? And they've confronted him with that. So they've come to him and they're like, hey, listen, why aren't you living within the accepted religious boundaries? We've already established as, as religious people, we've already told people what it takes to get to God. And one of those things is, be clean, like be physically clean. Wash your hands before you eat. Why are you and your followers living outside of the established way 
that we have said this is how you get to God because we really don't understand. The mo- because the most important thing is to follow the rules because by following the rules, that's how you get to God. You're dirty for them. This is what they're thinking. They're thinking you're dirty and being clean is the most important thing. Making yourself clean is the most important thing. This is so interesting. Jesus looks at them and he says, you are so far away from me. You honor God with your lips, but you are far away from him in your hearts. That is a shocking, shocking answer to these religious people because they are absolutely convinced that the way to get to God is being clean and in particular, specifically, by making yourself clean. And they don't mean washing your hands and taking baths. They mean morally, religiously, spiritually. How do I get to God? I make myself clean. I be good. I do good things. I keep the law. I do what scripture says. And that's how I get to God. But Jesus looks at them and he says, you have not one iota of love for God or people in your hearts. You are so far away from God. You have lost the good news. He looks at these Jewish people who have, again, 7,000 years of recorded history of God dealing with them. And he's like, you have totally missed the message. You have completely missed the gospel that is in the Old Testament. You have completely lost the gospel in all of your attempts to obey. You have confused obeying with godliness. You've confused doing what I tell you to do with being holy. You can be religiously clean. You can obey the rules and all the laws. And you can be further away from Jesus. Now get this. Than a demon possessed, than a woman with a demon possessed child. It's a really jarring set of stories here. And again, I think there should just be a clarion wake up call to some people in this room who think that the way you get to God is by being good, who, who think that, that the way that you have a relationship with God is by being religious or keeping the rules or, or keeping the law. There should be a jarring statement in your head when you see that this woman barges into his presence who has no business being in his presence, completely unqualified to be in his presence. And he welcomes her in, but he looks at the religious people and says, you are so far away from God. Could that be you? And some of you are like, no way. I just sang all those songs and I just took communion with my family and I prayed I'm a good person. Might this be you? You're convinced that the best thing is to be good. Or at the very least, to have other people see you as being good. You're terrified at nighttime when it's just you and the ceiling and God. You are terrified that your good won't be good enough. And you are put off when nobody celebrates how good you are. If those things diagnose you, you are more than likely walking down the path of a Pharisee. You are more than likely walking down this path of, I be good, and that's how I get to God. So he's just had this conversation 
with these religious leaders. And that's when this woman comes barging into his presence. Now, how does he respond to her? Because I think this is really important, right? How he responds to her is like the whole crux of the story, okay? So look in uh, verse 27. So she's saying, Keep this, or, cast this demon out of my child. And he says to her, let the children be satisfied, satisfied first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Even today, we would be somewhat offended by that. But in their world, that's highly offensive on one level. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of your answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to, get, or back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. How does Jesus respond to her? Jesus responds to her, and he responds to us, and he's very, very clear about what he's come to do. She's Jewish, or she's Gentile, woman, demon-possessed child. She's asking for this child to be set free. Jesus responds to her with, listen, I have come for a very particular agenda, and we really need to get comfortable with this, okay? Because you see it all through the book of Mark in particular, and it shows up in most of the other gospels too. The 30-year period, the three-year period when Jesus was here, he's very clear that he has come specifically to save sinners, which we've already talked about, and he's going to start with Jewish people. He's like, listen, my ministry while I'm here is to the Jews. I have to make it very clear to them that I have fulfilled the Old Testament promises, that I'm the Messiah they've been looking for, and that if they will trust in me, all the promises of the Old Testament are yes and amen in me, and I need them to know that. So he's being really specifically clear with her about what he's come to do when he says this. But here's the other thing that's going to happen here. He wants to bring faith to her, to elicit faith for her, and he wants to elicit faith from her. Two things, I think, that go hand in hand. God gives us a gift of faith. We exercise faith. There's this action that she takes. It says that she was asking. I mean, I really think the text is showing us here that she just didn't come in and go, oh, great teacher, may you please give me demon. No, she bursts through. She has to go through people to get into some stranger's house to get into the presence of Jesus. And it says she continues to ask. She's asking and asking and asking. Now, mom and dad, do you have a child who's been demon-possessed? If you've had a teenager, the answer is yes. Okay? All of them go through some period where something comes in. It's like Ghostbusters, okay? Have you ever had? Just wait. Yeah, you laugh because you have preschoolers, bro. Wait. It's all fun and games till they turn 13. Have you ever had your kid just in this broken place? Do you go to God and you're like, hey, God, you know, I really have a few minutes here. Could I just talk to you real quickly? If you have a chance, would you do something for my kid? Thanks. What do you do when your kids are broken, man? How do you approach the Lord? Don't you just rush into his presence and you fall down and you're like, God, do something. Jesus, do something. Rescue them. Rescue them. Save them. Rescue them. They're so far away. Save them. And you're asking and you're pleading and you're begging and whatever it takes, right? Amen, parents? You need to have that picture in your head. This woman didn't burst through this crowd and walk from where she walked through and break every social condition that was programmed into these people to be kind and nice and bring gifts and ask some crazy one-time question. She's pleading and asking and saying over and over again. 
Would you please do something here? God's going to give her faith. Christ's going to give her faith. She's going to exercise faith, trusting completely in what's going on here. And then I think the other thing Jesus is going to do with her, through her, is let other people benefit from her story. You and I are here 2,000 years later reading about some unnamed Syrophoenician woman who you don't even know where Phoenicia is, right? We're reading about this woman's story 2,000 years later because I think that was part of the point. Christ needed us to see this. He wanted us to see this, to see what this woman did and how she responded and what faith looks like and what the power of God, I think, looks like when it comes. So I think that's part of what Jesus does here. So basically, here's the deal. She's like, listen, I need you to heal my kid. Here's what I think Jesus' response to her is, listen, do you have any idea who you are? Do you realize that in this parable he calls her a dog? Do you realize that? He looks at her and he says, do you have any idea who you are? You have absolutely no claim and no merit to ask me for anything. Wow. That is his answer to her. Her response is actually even more shocking. Her response is basically this. I know. I know who I am. But when dogs can eat from the good food that a father gives to his children, I'm sure that whatever you can spare for me will be, ne- will be more than enough. Man, what? What? What would be enough for her? The crumbs falling off the table of the work of Jesus Christ. That's her response. And you're like, man, I really don't like this answer. I'm in church, and God is supposed to tell me I'm cool, right? I came to church today for God to say something good about me, and I don't need to hear this today, Pastor Joe. Yes, you do. (laughs) You do. I don't like what it says, especially this is maybe even exceptionally offensive to me because I am supposed to be told in church that I'm special, that I'm a treasure, that God has only good and amazing big plans for me. Paul W. Tripp says this, talks about this story, and he says there's three things that have to happen for us when we come to the Lord. We have to be hopeless, we have to be hopeful, and we have to be humble. And we're going to talk about all those things. First thing, I want to start with the humble thing. We have got to accept what Scripture says about who we are when we're without Him. We have to accept that. When I am without Him, when I am doing my best to get better on my own, right, when I read even vaguely, religiously reworded self-help books, and I think I'm going to make myself better somehow, Scripture comes along beside me and says, you can't. You can't. You can't do it. You can't change yourself. The evil that's in you, you can't root it out. You can't do it. I have to accept what Scripture says about me and about who I am when I am on my own, without him in me, without his empowering uh, daily work in me. I have to accept that. I have, she says this, like, listen, I get it. I am outside the covenant. I, I'm not a Jew. I'm outside this relationship you have with your people. You don't owe me anything. But in your mercy, if you could allow some crumbs to drop down on me, I'll take the crumbs and I'm sure that they're going to be enough for me. Wow. Wow. 
She came in trust, doesn't she? I mean, they're like just, I don't know what this woman knew about Jesus. Probably not very much. Out of her desperation and her hopelessness, she humbles herself and just falls at his feet, pleads for his child, for her child, trusts him. And then listen, she leaves without any proof of what he said. She has to wait till she gets home to see the effects of the words of Christ in her life. That is trust and faith, is it not? That you would walk this path with no more, just the echo of the words in your head until you get home to see what God's done. And that's trust. That is faith. Amen? She's humbled herself. She's come to him. That's the, the gist of the conversation that she's had. She's not offended. She's not offended by what Christ says. He, she accepts his description of her. She says, all right, I may not have a place at the table, but there's more than enough on that table for everybody in the world. And here's what I think is awesome. And I'm going to hit this a couple of times. She's like, I get that. And, and I know I don't deserve this. These crumbs will be enough for me. But you know what, Jesus? I need mine right now. This is desperate. I can't wait 10 years. I can't wait five months. I can't, I don't know if I can wait five minutes. I need these crumbs of grace right now. And it's very bold, isn't it? Right? When you understand the whole context of the story, that this woman would just kind of boldly say this, man, and I love it. She's wrestling with Jesus in faith. What a great story for us. Right? I think you can find your proper place with how you come to the Lord in humility and hopelessness and desperation, but that doesn't mean you back down because you, if you're a believer, you're his, you're his child. You're his child. God, I, I know that you have everything that I need, and I know your timing is perfect, but right now my calendar says, I need this. I need it now. She wrestles with him about what she feels she needs most from him and won't let go of him. Sounds like an Old Testament story if you know your Old Testament some. She's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. And I need it now. <laughs> Amen? And there's something just ultra New Testament biblical faith about that, isn't there? Right? It's not arrogant at this point, there's humility in her, but it's basically saying, you said you came to do particular things, and I'm saying I need you to do it. I'm banking on what you said you came to do, and I, I need it now. Not because I'm good, but because you're good. That's our only hope, by the way. You guys get that when we sing these songs, we talk about how good a good father is? Like our whole hope is in that. Not that he's powerful, but that he's good and powerful, Right? So not because I want or because I deserve something good, but because you're good. Then Jesus looks at her and he says, hey, because of that answer. And again, for Mark, he really downplays his response. Because usually Mark is in your face about stuff. But he says, oh, because of this answer, go and she's been set free. Basically what she's saying here is, is like what, what Christ is saying. He's like, that is a great answer. <laughs> that is like a fantastic, amazing answer. It actually kind of carries that a little bit of, Jesus is a little amazed, like he's taken aback a little bit at how she's responded. He's like, wow, because of that answer, not just the words, guys, right? Because of where I know you're coming from, where your heart is, 
because of the faith, doesn't use the word, but because of the faith and the trust that I'm sensing in you, it's done. Where does that kind of faith come from? Where does that experience with the Lord sort of come from? When it relies with my faith, on my faith to some degree, not completely, but to some degree, I'm a part of this equation. Again, I want to go back to Paul Lee Tripp. He said, hopelessness, being hopeful or hopefulness and humility. When we are really low, we've talked about this before, when we're really, really low, we have a deep knowledge of, of, of our need for grace. So I think this whole journey of faith begins with being driven down to this place of just being kind of hopeless. Being pushed down by the providence of God working in so many ways in our life to this place of I don't have hope anywhere else. There's nowhere else I can turn to. I am hopeless in this situation. When we are low, we know our need for grace. And you know what? It's like crumbs under the table kind of grace, guys. I would love to sit at the table and have a big banquet with you, Jesus, but right now, just some crumbs. I'm so low. I recognize how I am completely incapable of becoming the person I want to be. And the change that has to be affected in my life. I'm hopeless, just some crumbs off of the table. That's when we know our brokenness and our inability and our desperate situation. Now, here's what's really bizarre about this. For most of us in this room, we say those things and we're thinking about salvation. We think about when we didn't know Jesus, when we didn't know God through, through Christ, and now we do, and we're really good with that equation there. Like, I can't save myself. I got it. I get it. It's only through Jesus. The cross has the final word. All that stuff we just sang. I understand that. The first thing I would just say about this hopelessness is that we just, some of you need to just stop there. Like you don't need to even hear anything else I'd say. Quite frankly, if you want to get out and leave when I finish this part, that's cool. And I really would mean that. For some of you, here's what you need to do. You need to stop right here and you need to go, man, God, I'm desperate. I have no hope of having a relationship with God right now. I am so broken. I am so far away from you. I have absolutely no hope. I am desperate for you. And I can't get to you. The only way I could get to you would be if you made a way for me to get to you because I can't do it. The good news for you is that Jesus did. He made a way. Like that was his whole purpose of coming here. And he fulfilled his purpose. He died on a cross, came back from the grave so that we could become the righteousness of God, so that the unrighteous person, the broken person, can have this relationship with God. So right now, what you need to do, somebody, somebody in this room, you need to just push through the noise and push through all the reasons why you shouldn't do it, and you just got to come to Jesus and ask for his grace this morning and say, save me. Save me from my sins. Somebody in this room needs that. That's all you need to know. And you need to know this, that the offer of God is being offered to you right now. If you've ever wondered what would God say to me if he had to talk to me, here it is. He's offering you a way to be right with him. He's offering you through me this truth 
about Jesus and the cross and the resurrection and forgiveness of sins, and you have to trust in it like this woman trusted. She believed. You have to trust. Now, we're cool with that. But here's the thing, guys. Daily, every day, daily righteousness, daily holiness, the only way that I can get excited about God's love and power in my life over sin and sickness and habits and addictions is to be worn out by my condition and by my inability. Some of you are not excited about the grace of Jesus for you today, the crumbs that fall off his table of grace, because you came to him by grace, but you're staying in by works. You came to him by trusting him, but you're staying in. You think you're trying to stay in by becoming good. And the only way you're going to get excited about your Christian faith is to kind of fall in this place like, I am unable. I can't. I don't have control over this thing in my life, becoming like Jesus. I need that grace now. And it's not just the evil out there, it's the evil in here. I need grace. That's the very first thing that you can hope in. When you hit that place of rock bottom, hopelessness, if you finally look up and go, wow, I need to place my hope in Christ. Like today, daily, with this thing in my life, this sin in my life that I cannot get rid of, this evil that's in me that I can't get out. When I finally get to the place where I can't do anything about it and I kind of recognize that, the moment that you think, wow, I really need grace. I really need the power of God's grace in my life right now. He saved me, but today, save me from this sin. Save me from this issue. Save me from the evil in this world. And the minute that you think that, you should take hope because God's showing you how desperate you are. (laughs) And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's grace that he's showing you how much you need grace. (laughs) And that sounds so crazy and backwards. And I'm like, God... A lot of us are like, God, I get it. I need grace. Back off. Ooh, a little lighter now, okay? But he's showing us that we need grace, and that's a good thing. It's God's gift to you right now. Don't feel bad because you feel bad about how bad you are. This is one of the great words in Christianity, I think, right? The great news about Christianity is, is that you're not meant to feel bad about how bad you are, right? If you did, we would all go out and just kind of drive off a cliff, We've seen this in scripture. Judas felt bad about how bad he was. Peter felt bad about how bad he was, but he took hope in Christ. Two different endings to those stories. Know that you're being blessed now if you are feeling the weight of your inability to be in a right relationship with God, to be uh, constantly changing and renewed in your inner man. Know that it is by the loving mercy of God that he's showing you that right now. And that's a good thing. Your knowledge of your sin is God's gift to you. Amen? Some of us don't like that gift. We want some other gifts. But it is a gift from God that he shows you your sin. Hopelessness in our abilities. Hopelessness in our ability to overcome evil. And we're like, yes, Lord, I need that. I need some grace today to overcome these things. So we're hopeless on our own, hopeful in Christ. And we have an object of our hope. Now, this is the other thing. We think, like last week, I was hoping that it didn't rain today, and some of us are hoping that it'll be cool on Thanksgiving, and some of us are hoping that Amari Cooper can play wide receiver, you know? We all have these hopes. Non-sports people are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay. We have hopes. We have things that we hope come true, right? 
For this woman, in this story, the object of her hope was Christ, right? He's the object of her hope and the source of her hope at the same time, which is nuts. And when she realized that, she was like, nothing's keeping me away from him. And we see this echoed in Scripture in the New Testament a lot, where people get this knowledge about God and about their condition in God, or the condition without God, and nothing, they won't let anything keep them from getting into the presence of Jesus. When you get to this point, and you're a believer, you're a Christian, nothing can keep you from Christ. Not things, not pain, not disappointments, not the opinion of other people, not fear. So I'm gonna, we're going to kind of park here. We may end here. But man, I want to ask you this question. Are you desperate this morning? This woman was desperate. She was hopeless. Are you desperate this morning? Psalm 63 says this, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Are you desperate for Jesus this morning? Crawl to him. You guys get that? Crawl to him. Limp to him. Wheelchair to him. Have friends carry you to him, but don't let anything stand in the way of getting to Jesus this morning. Do y'all get where I'm saying today, Christian? Are you broken and are you desperate? Run to him. Don't wait. Don't wait till next week or when the kids come home or Christmas or Easter. Run to him. Run to Jesus. Don't let anything stand in the way. He's the basis of your hope. He's the focal point of your hope. Psalm 31 says this. This is the message. Some of you just got all tight because I said the message. You ready? I run to you, God. I run to you, God. I run for dear life. Don't let me down. Get down on my level and listen. And please, God, no procrastination. Your granite cave is a hiding place for me. Your high cliffs are a place of safety. Amen? You've got these picture of David and these authors in the Psalms. They're desperate. They're not thinking about their plans tomorrow and how they're going to make everything work out. I've got this under control. They're hurting and they're desperate and nothing is going to keep them from getting into the presence of God. Are you desperate this morning? I just think this would be a good place for us to just kind of sit a while, to be honest both hopeless and hopeful. We want to desperately run to Jesus because we need him to act in all of his power on our behalf. I have evil in me, Jesus, that needs to be rooted out. I don't want to get into this demon-possessed thing, but I'll talk about it metaphorically a little bit here. If you could come to him and say, man, God, I got this evil in me, this desire to do things that are sinful, and I can't root it out. I can't scoop it out of my heart. No matter how good I think I am and no matter how hard I try, this keeps owning me. I am desperate for you to do something to get this out. I need you to act on my behalf. 
We just bow your heads, man. Close your eyes. I don't know if we'll finish, but I want to just stop here. And I don't want to push through just to push through. But my gosh, some of you, some of us are so arrogant. We're hoping, thinking, believing that God's speaking to somebody in the room today. What if it's you? What if it's you? Are you desperate? Hopeless? You have an object of hope, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. Don't let anything stop you from getting to him. Would you run to him this morning? There's nowhere to, listen, the altar's not the thing. I'm not the thing. He is with us now in this place. Would you run to him? God, I am desperate for your power. I can't do anything about this thing, this person, this evil in me. Would you speak against it? Because I'm sure if you speak against it, it'll happen. Do something. Crumbs. Let the crumbs fall into crumbs of grace. I need you to act. I need you to move. Give me what I don't deserve. You ever prayed that? Sometimes we're so busy thinking and praying the opposite. Give me what I don't deserve. Grace. And God, I need you to do it now. 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 You said you came to save. I need you to save. God, move in us. Move in us to move toward you. Move in us to desperately call out on the name of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would not be lazy or arrogant. God, we would run to you. We wouldn't let this moment pass. There's no music, no distractions. In the silence, if we're hopeless, God, I pray we would run to Jesus right now. Give me what I don't deserve. Do it now. Amen.